Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. We love you because just as David prayed, you are going to write the end of the story. And it's been written, and you're going to do it. And so we thank you that we have hope that there is, a pointed, there is an appointed end to suffering. There is a pointed end to death. And you are going to return. You are going to bring justice to the earth. And we long for that justice, Jesus. You're going to bring, Father, a kingdom that will never end. And we long to be in that kingdom. So we thank you tonight. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of the Scriptures. We just ask now, Father, for enlightenment, that you would enlighten our hearts, that the eyes of our hearts would be open, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus, give us ears to hear and eyes to see tonight. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So talking about the cloud rider tonight, it it actually all starts in Exodus and the Exodus narrative. You guys know the story of the Exodus It's that stunning drama of Yahweh bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And it's got so many interesting parallels to the end of the age. If you really want to kind of look at the book of Revelation, then study the Exodus. If you want to know the Exodus, then study the book of Revelation, because the two things kind of self-inform. So you have the the drama that the Lord does. He's he's making it... uh, a way for him to get glory. So how does he do it? Well, he, he releases plagues on the Egyptians. He intentionally hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he would get more glory. Just like at the end of the age, he's going to release seals, bowls, and trumpets. And it's all drama designed to bring glory to God. But out of the Exodus comes the cloud narrative. And you, and you guys know the story. The Israelites come out. They ask for riches after the Passover night. They ask for riches from their neighbors and they just get it and they just march out into the desert. Some Bible scholars estimate up to two million people are marching into the desert and they're not going to last long, right? It's, It's the desert. It's harsh climates. But the Lord descends as a cloud to protect them. And not only does it, does he protect them, but it, it gives them other things, right? It gives them shade during the blazing heat of the desert. It gives, them, um, it, gives, it gives them light. If you're going to move that many people and the sun sets, you have light to keep moving. It, he, he gives them protection from Pharaoh's army. During, during the cold desert nights, it gives them heat. So it's this, it's this cloud, and it's really wide. If it's, if it's enough to hide the Israelites, we're, we're talking about like massively thick cloud that it is. But notice how Exodus... 13 personalizes the cloud. Exodus 13, verse 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, 
so they could travel by day or by night. So Exodus doesn't just say, the Lord puts a cloud right there. He actually says, no, the Lord is the cloud. It personalizes the cloud. And this is going to be a theme that, that we see throughout the book of Exodus. So, so there they march, and, and they're given protection. They cross the Red Sea, but the cloud stays with them. It, it's a manifestation of Yahweh, and they move to Sinai. And at Sinai, the Lord is going to do a marriage covenant with them, sealed in blood with the Israelites. And Yahweh comes down in the cloud. The cloud moves over Sinai, and he comes down in a scary, dark cloud with lightning, fire, and trumpets. Listen to the language here in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And so notice the language, right? We have the cloud is the Lord leading, leading the Israelites. Now the, the Lord is descending onto Mount Sinai in a cloud, in a dark, scary cloud. And there, like I said, they make a marriage covenant with the Israelites. I'm not exactly sure what, if the Israelites understand the stipulations, but that's what it is. And while Moses is up there, the Israelites commit adultery. During the marriage ceremony, the Israelites commit adultery. But the story continues in Exodus 23. Exodus 23 is going to talk about not just a cloud now, but it's an angel, and it's going before the Israelites like the cloud, and that they should listen to him and fear him. And notice the plurality here in, verses, in Exodus 23, verse 20. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion, since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to do what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you. So, so notice that language there. It's, it's an angel ahead of him, but this angel has his name. And this angel has the power to forgive sin. Now we know the Bible story, right? Only God can forgive sins. But notice the, the personalization of this angel going forth just like the cloud. And just notice, that before, as we leave the Exodus narrative, just catch this little note. Unfortunately, when, when most people think of God, they think of Him far away, as distant. But even from the Exodus narrative, He's not. He, he's the God who comes down. He's in the cloud. He's moving along. He is highly exalted, Yet he's near, he's imminent towards us, manifesting himself over and over and over again in the story of scriptures. So just to summarize this, the Exodus narrative, Yahweh himself down on the earth, marching through the desert as a cloud. I just want you to catch that. He's marching through the desert and he's as a cloud. And that moves us to Deuteronomy 33. Now, for years, De Deuteronomy was just like the book that I just had to try to get through when I'm reading through the Bible. Oh, this is going to be hard. 
But the more I, I study the scriptures, the more I'm starting to fall in love with the book of Deuteronomy. And um, the end of Deuteronomy specifically is a really interesting parallel to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So if you know Genesis 1, 2, and 3, or yeah, well, well you know Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about the blessing. The Lord blesses Adam and Eve. The Lord blesses them with power and authority. And then comes the cursing in, in Genesis 3, where they sin and they're cursed. Deuteronomy ends with a curse and then a blessing. And it works as kind of like concentric circles. So imagine like a big circle and then like a smaller circle inside of that. So imagine the blessing at the beginning of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and that parallels the blessing at the end of the Pentateuch, at the end of Deuteronomy. And those two things, like I said before, they self-inform. Now imagine a smaller circle. We have the curse of Genesis 3, and that's going to match the curse at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31. So it, it just kind of like, the, those two kind of things self-inform. So think of it as concentric circles. In Moses, in chapter 31, he's going to talk about Joshua's succession, because Moses isn't going to go into the promised land. And he's going to do the reading of the law. They do the reading of the law again that they established on Sinai. And then in, in starting in um, chapter 31, verse 14, Moses begins to prophesy. And he prophesies a curse on the Israelites. And it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. He, he's saying, you, like Adam, you're going to go into the promised land. And it's going to be like Adam in the Garden of Eden. But you're going to rebel just like Adam did. And because you're going to rebel just like Adam did, you're also going to be cast out just like Adam was. So Deuteronomy 31 acts as, as a curse on the Israelites. They're going to blow it. And then in Deuteronomy 33, he's going to put a blessing on them, just like Genesis 1 and 2. So catch this. And it's going to include the, a prophecy of Yahweh appearing again, just like he did on Sinai, He's going he's gonna to come again. So listen to Deuteronomy 33, verses 2 through 5. He said, The Lord came from Sinai. Not the Lord came down at Sinai, but the Lord came from Sinai. Like he's moving somewhere. But that's where he's coming from. And dawned on them from Seir. And all these locations are from the south of Israel. He shone from Mount Paran. And sometimes if you have a chance, Google image um, some maps, looking up these locations uh, on an ancient map. Israel, um, he came from the, from the midst of a myriad of his holy ones. And, and that can mean like the Israelites, but more likely it's talking about he's coming in the midst of his holy ones, of angels. Ten thousand, ten times thousand angels. At his right hand there was flashing lightning for him. Catch that. that little, the idea of lightning coming from his hand is going to be a theme throughout the Old Testament. Indeed, he loves his people. All your holy ones are in your hand, and they followed in your steps. Everyone takes of your words. Moses issued to us the law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun, which is kind of like a pet name for Israel. When the heads of the people were gathered together, the tribes of Israel together. So notice the theme here. Again, we have God appearing like he was at Sinai, but he's not just staying on Sinai like he did in, in, in the Exodus narrative. He's moving north with the myriads of his holy ones with him. 
and his hands and his feet. He has hands and he has feet. So he's like anthropomorphic, right? It's like a, the human form, but it's God on the earth, like Sinai, but different, marching north. And this little section in Deuteronomy has confused Bible scholars for years, but be, and if, if that's all that was in there, I might be like, ah, I'm not sure, man. We'll see. We'll see what that means. But because of the rest of the testimony of the Old Testament, we're going to see this little section of Deuteronomy 33 highlighted in Judges and Habakkuk and in the Psalms prophesying the return of Jesus. So at the very end of the blessing, in Deuteronomy 33, verse 26, it says this. Oh, and I love this. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, which again is just like a pet name for a term of endearment. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. He is a cloud rider. This Yahweh coming back is coming back in the clouds. Just like Deuteronomy said, just like it was at the Exodus. So now Judges 5. Now Judges 5 is this really fun story that you're probably not going to hear in most churches but it's got this great story of, of this evil, antichrist-like figure, Sisera, this bad dude. And Barak is, is a military leader in Israel, and he wants to kill Sisera and his armies, but he's afraid. So he goes to Deborah, the judges, the, judge, the female judge, and says, tell me, you know, are we going to win this, this victory? And she says, yes, you're going to win it, go. And he says, I'm afraid, you have to come with me. He has her as like a security blanket. So she says, okay, I will, but you will not be the one who kills Sisera. It will be a woman who kills her. And so it's the story of Jael who um, is going to kill Sisera. And the way she kills Sisera is such a cool story with Genesis 3.15. We're not teaching Genesis 3.15 tonight, but I have in the past in this context. And you guys know the story, right? From... The, the womb of Eve will come a man who will smash the serpent's head. So Sisera loses the battle, and he's desperate. He's, he's, he's on his last breath. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's been running from the, the Israelites, and he finds this random tent. And he's just like, hey, help me. And so this woman, Giles, says, like, okay, I will. And, and she gives him milk like a mother, so bizarre. And then he lays down in the tent And then it says, she puts his head at her feet and she takes a tent peg and drives with a hammer, drives the tent peg into Sisera's skull, exactly like Genesis 3.15. It's such this crazy, interesting, bizarre story. And it was prophesied by Deborah. That's what's going to happen. My daughter is in a dance group. And one of the other girls is named Jael. And when I heard that, I was like, that is so awesome. (laughs) Her parents named her the one that drives the tent peg into the Antichrist figure's head. I was like, that's so cool, man. Uh, Anyways, well, it's just cool, Elizabeth, it is. Uh, Yes, so anyways, they win the victory. And then Deborah and Barak, they break into this song in Judges 5. And notice the parallels with Deuteronomy 33. Judges 5 verse 2. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. 
I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the, Lord sh- the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So just catch those same themes. It's, it's the earth shaking, and he's marching to the north from Sinai through the deserts. Again, all these locations here that it mentions, Edom and Seir, they're, they're south of Israel, and he's marching his way north. Well, why? What's going on here? Now, as we move on to the Psalms, the Psalms are going to start connecting Yahweh the cloud rider, the one who marches through the desert, and they're going to connect it to um, the, the great ascension to the temple. Just like David, when he took the throne from the, that guy's house, or he took the ark from that guy's house, and he, he marched with it, dancing before the ark up to Jerusalem, the Psalms are going to prophesy a second marching, a second assembly, a second ascension to Jerusalem with the same language. So the Psalms are really amazing because they're going to they're um, connect Yahweh the cloud rider, Yahweh the desert marcher, and the great procession to Jerusalem. It's just, it's beautiful. So, and, and you, can, you can read about that procession in Psalm 24, 48, 68, 118, etc. But Psalm, Psalm 18 is our first little section. Before we read the section, just notice ahead of time from Psalm 18, verses 4 through 6 talk about a guy that's in Sheol, and he's desperate, he's, he's below the earth, he's got no hope. Verses 16 through 19 talk about the resurrection of the dead and the joy that happens that with that. So what is verses 7 through 15? The cloud rider. Follow along here on the notes. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. Think about that picture. Yahweh coming down, dark clouds under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. Remember that from Deuteronomy 33? From his hands are coming lightning flashes. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke. Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. So again, notice that same theme. The same uh, thing that we read in Deuteronomy 33 and Judges 5. Yahweh, the one who comes down on the cloud with lightning and fire. And notice that the psalmist connects it with the resurrection from the dead. People raising out of the dead, out of the, the tombs. Psalm 68 is our next one. Verse 4. Uh, sing to God, sing praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. 
Now, I was looking at all the different versions of Psalm, of Psalm 68, verse 4, and I was shocked to see that there's three or four English translations that don't say, extol him who rides on the clouds, but instead, extol him who marches through the desert. And years ago when I saw that, I'm like, what? How can they, how can they translate those things different? Like, how can one English translation say, he who rides on the clouds, and another one say, he who marches through the desert. But it's because I didn't know the story, right? Deuteronomy 33, the cloud rider marching through the desert. Uh, Psalm 18, same thing. It, those two things are so connected that you can translate it either way. And I'm not a Hebrew expert on, on how to translate it, but now that I know the story, I'm like, cool. It's cool that one, one translates it, extol the one who rides on the clouds, and, and also extol the one who marches through the desert, because it's the same basic prophecy. Uh, verse 32, and Psalm 68 almost, it says, Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with a mighty voice. Psalm 104, and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. Next we have Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, if, if you read the whole context, it's an amazing uh, context of Jewish captives who are stuck in Israel. It seems like they're in some sort of really bad situation, like a, like a concentration camp or something. They're, they're suffering, they're captives in Israel, and they're crying out, help us, help us, help us. And read the whole chapter. I only have one little verse here, but read the whole chapter because it's amazing of, of the cloud rider coming, rescuing them, and then marching to the north. Isaiah 19, verse 1, a prophecy against Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. Skipping to Isaiah 63, verses uh, 1 through 4, Isaiah says, Who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with his garments stained crimson? So Isaiah sees this mysterious figure, and again, he's marching in the same locations that have been prophesied in the past these locations to the south, and he's marching from Edom, and he's stained in, like, red, in crimson red. And he says, who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the strength and the greatness of his strength? The desert marcher responds. He says, it is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Isaiah looks at that and says, why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? The marcher answers, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. So Isaiah 63, we got this desert marcher, again, coming from these same locations, moving north, and he's, he's trampling his enemies, just like Genesis 3.15. But notice that Isaiah 63 connects it to the day, the day of the Lord. When did this cloud rider coming? He's coming on the day of vengeance. And now we move to Habakkuk 3. I still remember, David, when we were at your house and Chad Brewer just 
goes off on Habakkuk, Habakkuk, the whole book of Habakkuk, and I just was like stunned at at the story, and it it just sealed me, and it made me love the book of Habakkuk. But we see the same themes right here, verse three. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Again, all these things have been mentioned. All these locations have been mentioned before. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands. Hopefully by now you guys are seeing these same themes over and over and over again. The cloud rider who comes, who marches, lightning rays from his hands where his power was hidden. Verse 5, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. He's moving to the north. Nahum 1, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. We've seen all that before. So then comes Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is a crucial part of the, the passage, specifically because Jesus is going to use sections of Daniel 7 over and over and over again. But in the Old Testament, it's crucial because Daniel 7 connects the seed prophecies about the, the child that will be born of a woman that will crush the enemy's head and the cloud rider prophecies. So, so those two stories have been growing up throughout the scriptures, but they're going to get connected in Daniel 7. And they're going to be joined with the phrase, the Son of Man. Jesus' favorite way to talk about himself. So all these cloud rider prophecies and desert marcher prophecies shows Yahweh in anthropomorphic form. So he looks kind of like a man. Not really as like a normal human being, but, but we're made in his image. God has a back, Moses saw. He's got a body, he's got feet, and he ate with Abraham. And in, in his coming appearance, we know he'll be like a cloud, a marcher. He's going to trample his enemies. But different from the seed prophecies from Genesis 3.15 or Psalm 2, right? It, he's saying that my son will sit on Zion's throne. So number two here, only Yahweh rides on the clouds. But Daniel 7 introduces this new figure. The son of man who will approach the ancient of Dave's on his throne, coming with the clouds of heaven. So here's Daniel 7. Verse 9, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand ten times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of a time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man. So, so Daniel is seeing this glorious picture of Yahweh on his throne with rivers of fire 
multitude of angels, but then he sees this other guy, this other figure, and he looks like a human being, like a son of man. So again, verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Only Yahweh rides on the clouds. He's the cloud rider. But this other guy, another person, is riding on the clouds to the throne. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power in all nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. Only Yahweh can be worshipped, right? But this Son of Man figure, everyone is going to worship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here a man comes with the clouds of heaven, approaches Yahweh's throne, and is given an eternal kingdom on the earth. So like I said, Daniel 7 is so important for a number of reasons. Before Daniel 7, the appearances of Yahweh as the cloud rider or desert marcher describe him anthropomorphically. But here a second figure, like a son of man, comes in the clouds, walks right up to Yahweh in inapproachable light, and is given an unending kingdom and worship from the whole world, combining the cloud rider prophecies and the seed prophecies from Genesis 3.15. Now this son of man phrase that Jesus says, it's going to be his favorite way to describe himself. And it was well understood by Jews during the second temple period. Uh, I, just, I used to be so annoyed when I'd, when I'd read the, the, the Gospels, and I'd be like, why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, I am God, worship me. Because I was viewing the Gospels through a Greek lens. That's just not how Jews talked. How would you say that you're God? You'd say that you're the creator, which Jesus does a a bunch of different ways, a a bunch of different um, um, demonstrations. And you'd say, I'm the son of man. I'm the one from Daniel 7. The, The New Testament screams the divinity of Jesus from every page. I just didn't have eyes to see it. So letter C, the son of man phrase was well understood. Letter D, Jesus is the snake crushing seed from Genesis 3.15, but he is also the cloud rider and the desert marcher from the Old Testament. So now we're going to move into the New Testament, knowing everything that we've studied so far about the Old Testament, about all these prophecies of Yahweh coming in the clouds, Yahweh marching through the desert in a great procession to Jerusalem, moving from the south towards the north. And what do we see? We see Jesus, the cloud rider. And this is Jesus' trademark. This is the sign of his genuine return. So do you guys know what a trademark is? It's like the way you know something is authentic from the authentic source. So you maybe look at a Rembrandt and you think, how do we know this was really done by Rembrandt? Well, they look for for Rembrandt's trademarks. Or you could use like um, logos, right? Everybody knows certain logos. Everybody sees that yellow M, and they have associations with that. And I can't just start a restaurant and put a yellow M in there because that's somebody else's trademark. When I was a kid, we grew up really poor, and I loved Nike, the the brand Nike. It was, like, super popular in the 90s. But we were poor, and so I couldn't afford Nike stuff. So I bought a fabric marker. It's like a a marker that you could, like, um, paint, or you could, like, draw things on guess what i'm drawing on all my clothes nike symbols because i i wanted the 
the trademark, right? I wanted people to look at me like, man, he's got some Nike stuff. But it was pathetic because it was like obviously drawn on with a marker. But I, I, I wanted the trademark, right? And so one time I put it on backwards. People would be like, dude, why do you have a backwards Nike sign on? It was obvious there. In the New Testament, how do we know that it's actually Jesus? How do we know that it's actually the day of the Lord? How do we know that it's really him coming back? How do we know? He will come back in the clouds. It's his trademark. If somebody goes and says, hey, guess what? Jesus came back. Hey, guess what? The resurrection of the dead has already happened. Hey, guess what? The day of the Lord has already been done. You can say, did I see Jesus come back in the clouds? Because if you didn't see Jesus come back in the clouds, then those things aren't true. It's his trademark. It's how we know he will come back. So Matthew 24, verse 29 Immediately after the distress of those days, and you know Matthew 24, it's talking about the great persecution that the church will have to go through. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is Jesus talking about his return. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Well, what's the sign? And all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming. How? On the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Matthew 26. This is that kangaroo trial that Jesus is there. They've assembled a bunch of the members of the council to try to get a guilty plea in the middle of the night. Then the high priest stood up and said, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the question that Caiaphas is asking here is not, are you God? The question he's asking is, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? For years, I would read the New Testament and I would think, that Son of God talks about Jesus' divinity, and Son of Man talks about Jesus' humanity. It's actually the opposite. Son of God comes from Psalm, Psalm 2, right? That I have, today I betrothed you, it says in Psalm 2, and the, the nations will tremble against my son. Kiss the son lest you be angry. That phrase, Son of God, is, is uh, talking about Jesus' humanity. Luke does that in Luke 3. That's how he ends his genealogy. He, he goes through the genealogy of Jesus and he gets to Adam and he says, and Adam was the son of God. That phrase son of God is more talking about a human being. The son of man issue is Daniel 7, the glorious cloud writer. So just catch that right away. Caiaphas is saying, okay, say it, cl say it clearly, please. Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? Jesus says, you have said so. So he says, yeah. I am the Messiah. And now what he's about to say is just crazy. Here's what he says. But I say to all of you, so not just to Caiaphas, but the whole council, he says this to him with so much, such drama. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming with the clouds of heaven. He makes a direct claim on his divinity. Listen. You will see me come with the clouds of heaven because I am the Son of Man. 
Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need to hear any more witnesses? Look, now if you have heard the blasphemy, in every one of the members of the council, they convict him of blasphemy because he says, I am the cloud rider from Daniel 7. I am the son of man. And just, I love the drama of that moment because they're there to try to convict Jesus of something so they can get rid of him. But he says, look, I'm the one that's gonna judge you. You'll see me sitting on the throne. I'm gonna come back in clouds and I'll throw you into Gehenna. Do you guys understand the drama of that situation? He is not afraid of their courts whatsoever. Luke 21, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Acts 1, I love Acts 1. I just, I love the preciousness of it. After this, he said, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love this because this is an important moment. Jesus has ascended to the throne it's, that is stunning that a human being, even now, sits on the throne. But he's gone. And they're looking up into heaven, and the first thing, what's the first thing that Yahweh does? The first thing that God the Father does is send two angels to say, listen, church, listen, guys, the same way you saw him go up, he's going to come down. He went up into a cloud, he will come down in a cloud. It's the rule of hermeneutics. The, the, the first thing, pay attention to. He doesn't say, you guys saw Jesus come up, ascend into a cloud. Now, love each other. He doesn't say that. He could have, right? That'd be good, but he doesn't. He reminds them of the main thing. He doesn't say, okay, you guys saw Jesus go up into a cloud. Now it's time to take over the seven spheres of your city. He doesn't do that. He says, he's coming down the same way. He's giving them hope. And he's giving them the drama for the rest of the story. That's why the, the apostles are so apocalyptic. They talk so much about the end of the age, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. They, their teaching doesn't belong in most American churches. They, they would be kicked out. Why do they focus so much on his return? Because they get it. It's the blessed hope of the New Testament. So then 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, this is so important to me, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to come back to that little phrase. If you have a pencil, circle it. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Finally, Revelation 1.7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Okay, so we just plowed through a ton of scripture but how do we respond? How do we respond to the message of Jesus the cloud rider? The first thing I want to catch is that it's one God. 
right? We're, we're not talking about two different people. It is one God. There's plurality within that God, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's one God. It's also one story. Did you guys catch that? The New Testament doesn't say, well, the Old Testament preaches this type of God, but we're preaching a different. No, it's the same story. It's the same themes. Jesus, the cloud rider. Jesus, the desert marcher. And it's one means to that hope. It's, yeah, so, so it's one hope. Our hope is that he comes back. Our hope is that he comes and he brings justice to the earth. Our hope is that we would, he would come and start a kingdom that would never end. That's our hope. And it's one means to that hope, namely the cross of Christ. There's not a division between the Old Testament and the new one. It's one continuous story declaring that same hope. As the early church progressed, there, uh, after almost 200 years, there was this guy, Marcion, and he started saying, well, the Old Testament is kind of like this old, cranky, angry God, and the New Testament is this nice, loving God. And it's just a lie. And, and the more I study Scripture, the more I actually see the tenderness of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And, and the more I see the fiery, angry uh, uh, anger of Jesus in the New Testament. But they're not two different stories. It's one continuous story. And the cross of Christ is the means to escape that wrath. The cross is as the means to that hope. Jesus the cloud rider can be really good news or really bad news, depending on your response to the cross. Because on that day, outside of the city, Yahweh the cloud rider, Yahweh the creator, Yahweh the desert marcher was nailed to a cross. And by his means, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. Either you get your sins and the wrath that you deserve, either you, you, you take the wrath that you deserve and you put it on Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, or he comes back and he will dispense that wrath upon you. It's our response to his blood. It's our response to his cross. Because all these things about Jesus coming back in the clouds, it's terrifying if you reject the cross of Christ. If you say, no, I don't need his blood. No, I don't need his cross. There's nothing more terrifying to me than at the day of the Lord, him showing up and me rejecting the blood of Jesus. That is terrifying to me. Okay, so how do we respond? We encourage one another with these words. That's what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said, listen, guys, the Lord is coming back. He's coming back in a cloud, and you will be caught up with him, and you will be with him forever. Paul knows the secret to encouragement. Because sometimes we think, oh, so-and-so is such a great encourager because they tell me about how their life is bad too. Or so-and-so is such a good encourager saying like, I'm actually a really good person, and I'm actually whatever. Oh, you're such an encouragement. But you guys don't want to know the secret of encouragement? You want to be in a great encourager? I'm going to tell you the secret right now. The great way to encourage someone is to give them hope. Hope is the main way we give each other encouragement. I used to think that the opposite of um, sadness or depression was happiness, but it's actually not true. The opposite of sadness or depression is hope. Giving somebody hope. And we're not hoping for something that we already have. 
That's not hope. We're hoping for something that's coming, namely Jesus of Nazareth, coming again, establishing justice, raising the dead, giving us new bodies, lettering, letting us enter into a kingdom of unbridled joy. That's how we encourage one another. So you want encouragement tonight? Let me just tell you, Jesus is coming back on the clouds. He's gonna raise the dead, establish a kingdom that will never end, and he's inviting you into it, even now. And, and this message of the day of the Lord has brought me so much healing, right? Because not only have I mistreated others, but I've suffered mistreatment. And, and if there's no answer to that mistreatment, if there's no answer to the injustice in the world, it just leaves me unsettled, it leaves me angry, it leaves me just feeling like, like there's something missing. But the message of the justice that comes at the day of the Lord is so healing. You can spend the rest of your life in counseling sessions, and that's probably good. I'm not discounting counseling at all. But so much counsel happens to me when I remind myself of the justice of the day of the Lord, when I remind myself of the restoration that's coming in the clouds of heaven with this man, Jesus of Nazareth. So worship the one who rides on the clouds. Thank you for listening. Let's stand and pray. I'll turn it over to Derek for whatever he wants after I pray. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we have hope, that we have encouragement. Thank you, Jesus, that the story doesn't just go on like this forever, but there is an appointed end to suffering, that there is a coming kingdom that will never end, that you will raise the dead, you will restore what needs to be restored, you will do the restoration of all things. That once again, we will enter in to that Jerusalem and it will be like we are dreaming. That we will once again, we will be part of that great procession to the horns of the altar. We will wave our palms and we will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So thank you, Jesus, that we have hope. Thank you. That, that the injustice has an answer. That you will not sweep any injustice under the rug, but you care deeply about that justice. And you will deal perfectly with it on your day. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Help us to encourage one another, reminding ourselves of the cloud rider, Jesus of Nazareth, who's fiery and jealous, and yet has scars in his hands yet has proven his love for us by taking our sins on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the suffering that you suffered on the cross. Thank you for bearing the sin, for paying the payment debt that we could never pay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.